I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. I've got two interviews for you today in the podcast. First up, Instant Karma is coming to get you when I talk to the San Francisco band Karma Coda. They've got a new album called Lessons in Time that solidifies a move away from the trip-hop sound that gave them their initial inspiration as well as their name. I think in the beginning we were more trip-hop and that has become sort of a, I don't want to say antiquated, but out of fashion style. But the legends in that genre have sort of been quiet. So you have to find inspiration elsewhere and you have to grow because if you don't grow you're stagnant and you're not searching for new things that's brett crockett also known as b the founding member of karma coda we'll talk to him and singer jessica ford about where they've come from including coaching american idol contestants then we'll hear from the duo Sunroof. It includes Daniel Miller, producer and founder of Mute Records, and producer and engineer Gareth Jones. It might not be electronic pop without these two, who include Depeche Mode, Moby, and John Fox on their resumes. But that might not prepare you for the freeform, improvised, modular electronic improvisations they bring us as Sunroof. They've just released their second album, Electronic Music Improvisations, Volume 2. Joining us in support of Echoes is Kevin Keller, an artist who's been in Echoes' favor for more than 25 years. With his intimate piano, lush strings, and vast sonic spaces, Kevin Keller has inspired listeners with his ambient chamber music since the mid-1990s. In fact, I first coined the term ambient chamber music in reference to Kevin. So it's kind of full circle that his latest album is also called Ambient Chamber Music. It's a compilation of some of his best works in that chamber mode, and it features performances by cellists Clarice Jensen, Mina Cho, and late and great David Darling. Kevin Keller's Ambient Chamber Music, available on all streaming services and as a CD and download at kevinkeller.com. That's kevinkeller.com. And now, here's Karma Coda. Makoda is a band that's been around for all of this century, but they have evolved substantially from their beginnings, and like many artists who have been around for a while, they've moved away from their early influences into a different sound with inspirations that actually predate their genesis. I talked to the band's founder, Brett Crockett, and singer Jessica Ford about their new soul sound. Kind of crazy how, how we are when we're together. Let's find peace 
TV's American Idol and Echoes have rarely come together. In fact, it's only happened once. If anything, I think of us as the antithesis of American Idol, as well as The Voice, America's Got Talent, and every other show with singers who have ambitions of pop stardom. More than 7 million TV viewers love it, though. And that's the milieu where Kamakota singer Jessica Ford resides in real life. How am I supposed to live? Speaking to her on the Riverside app, she's in her office in San Jose. On the wall behind her are framed pictures of former American Idol contestants. I am a vocal coach. I teach singing when I'm not in Kamakota. And um, it started with Jimmy Charles, who's right there. I do a little plaque for them and put them on my wall. And I have to actually add to that because this season is going to be very fine to me. And so I'm very excited about this up-and-coming season. Those were a couple of Ford's aspirant American Idol clients who at least cleared the audition stage. But when she's not coaching singers, Ford is fronting a band that got its initial start with a different vocalist and a different inspiration. Brett Crockett, who also goes by the name B, created the band at the dawn of the 21st century, and his inspiration was Trip Hop. That's the 1990s sound that fused hip-hop rhythms with electronica, jazz, and R&B into a sometimes sultry, sometimes experimental sound. He even took their name from trip-hop innovators' massive attack song, Karma Koma. Although the musical inspiration was probably songs like the title track to Massive Attack's Protection. This girl I know needs some shelter But she don't believe anyone can help her She's doing so much harm, doing so much damage But you don't want to get involved Crockett took those influences, and on albums like Recommended and Illuminate, he created his own San Francisco interpretation. I'm After you've left my Firefly with vocalist Heather Pierce, but by the time Jessica Ford entered the band, Crockett was moving on from trip-hop. I think in the beginning we were more trip-hop, and that has become sort of a, I don't want to say antiquated, but out of fashion style. I still listen to the classics, and some of the best albums I've listened to in my life have been trip-hop albums. But the legends in that genre have sort of, you know, been quiet. So... You have to find inspiration elsewhere and you have to grow because if you don't grow, you're stagnant and 
Uh, you're not searching for new things. He found his inspiration in soul music. In recent years, I've just got into electronica, neo-soul, R&B, and I've been listening to those kind of acts, and it's just inspired me. And so we shifted towards that kind of vibe. That vibe suited Jessica Ford Fine, although initially she was drawn to the trip-hop sound of the band. I actually have house music roots. So my first single I ever released was written and then produced by a very popular um, San Francisco DJ named B.B. Hayes. And so when I heard the music of Karmakota when he was looking for a new singer, it was so familiar, right? It's not the same, but it's electronica. And it definitely has a familiar vibe that I thought, whoa, I've never heard of trip hop before. But it was so familiar, I thought this is something that I could really get into and really get creative with. But she was primed when the new, more R&B direction emerged. I grew up singing the oldies. My first vocal coach, her name was Eleanor Wellman. Unfortunately, she's passed away now, but she was probably 60 when I was, I don't know, 12 or something, right? So she taught me her generation's music, which was Etta James and Ella Fitzgerald and even some Aretha Franklin. And then later on, it went into Whitney Houston and some Mariah Carey, right? It evolved, right? Ford fits in more with those singers than the ethereal girl Chantuses that populate most trip-hop and electronica recordings. I wanted to sing-sing not whisper sing, you know, right? I want to belt it out, right? I dare you to want me, baby, cause I need some of you. Boy, you told me that you need me and a dream. It's the truth and I try to That's Dare, which is the most R&B-oriented track from Karma Coda's latest album, Lessons in Time. The title, Lessons in Time, comes from the period we've lived in the last three years. Yeah, this record and the previous are COVID records. We were, like everyone in the world, shook. And the first record was about the lack of understanding of what's going on. Yeah, I think with the first album, Pandemic Record album, it was a little bit more like we're all stuck in this space and it's a little fear-based and the fires were happening during that time in California. And it was so much, right? You know, burn down, melt, catch fire. Catch fire, the last one was literally I wrote while sitting outside in the smoke. Everybody was kind of in this weird fear, like what's happening with the world kind of state. This record is about the lessons that we learned going forward. And also, as Jessica's lyrics in many of the songs, it's about looking back 
and what did she learn as time went by and us thinking about the past. This album is, okay, we're coming out of this. I've been sitting here for three years now. <laughs> I've had a lot of time to reflect. <laughs> Let's see, wow, let me go past this. I don't want to think about this anymore. Remember when I was 20, <laughs> right? I mean, we had so much time to really think, you know, and process and you know, what I want to do with the rest of my life, because I certainly don't want to sit here anymore staring at the computer, right? You know, let's get out in the world and do something, you know? Jeez. Makoto with Rick Crockett, Jessica Ford, and the third member of the trio, Eric Matsuno, have moved well past their early trip-hop influences. The opening track on Lessons in Time is called Lovely. It's something of a statement song defining their current direction. I think so. I feel like it's sort of evolving in that way, and it's not by force. It's just inspired, you know what I mean? Like, he's added a lot more soulful vibes sounds. Eric adds a more funky bass line and all of a sudden I'm writing something that's a little more soulful and which changes the way I want to sing it in my voice. You know, maybe I'm not whispering it, maybe I'm really singing it, singing it, going back to my roots. So I Makoda's Lessons in Time, their ninth album since their 2001 debut, sets them off in a direction that they think sets them apart from the herd in these musically glutted times. I always want, when a Karmakota's song starts playing, we want you to immediately recognize it as a Karmakota song. That's key to us, so we don't want to sound like other people. Musically, every song, I want there to be an element that the listener says, I've never heard that before. That's so amazing. And then these gorgeous vocals come on top of it. And it, I think it just creates a sense of place. We always say that if the song doesn't create pictures in your mind, it's not working. This is the last walk in the garden Under oak trees filled with pollen This is the last cry you can see what pictures come to your mind with Karma Coda's album, The Lessons.
I will have a link to Karma Coda's Lessons in Time in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. That's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot O-R-G. And now, get ready to have your ears peeled back, but your mind enthralled with Daniel Miller and Gareth Jones of Sunroof. Depeche Mode and Mute Records are two of the biggest names in electronic pop music. Early Mute artists included Erasure, Fad Gadget, Yazoo, and later on, Moby. But the biggest of them all has been Depeche Mode, who have defined electronic pop. Two men responsible for a lot of that music are Mute founder Daniel Miller and producer and engineer Gareth Jones. But recording as Sunroof, they are making a sound that is not pop at all. Daniel Miller. Well, I think the relationship between anything that I do, whether it was 42 years ago or now, for me, what's interesting and what excites me is exploring electronic music, I think, is the thing that links everything. You know, my love of it, the inspiration it gives me, you know, the respect I have for other people who, you know, came before me and after me. It's all about that, really. Does that make sense? speaking with Daniel Miller and Gareth Jones separately. Gareth is in Shoreditch in England with a studio that looks like a 60s throwback. The walls are orange and it's adorned with tapestries. He wears a colorfully embroidered skull cap and behind him is a jumble of modular synthesizers, patch bays, electronic processors, and a vintage Revox A77 reel-to-reel deck. Well, my studio is a very brightly colored. I mean, I call it, let's call it a shed. It's just kind of a small space, you know. It's very brightly coloured, and I guess it reflects my love of the psychedelic and my whole hippie aesthetic that I grew out of many, many decades ago, you know. Daniel Miller is in his home studio in Berlin. Well, his is very orange and nice and colourful. Mine, this is really just a, a bit of space in my flat where I live with my wife. It's just like a little open area where my modular sits. But Daniel's studio mute in London looks like Mission Control from a 60s sci-fi film, all white and clean surfaces. These are two very different men. While Gareth looks like a hippie, Daniel, bald and with thick blackroom glasses, looks like a corporate magnate. It's just that he's sitting in front of a wall-sized modular synthesizer system. Gareth Jones and Daniel Miller were in the vanguard of electronic pop and were responsible for some of the first electro-pop albums to emerge out of punk. While everyone in England was plugging in guitars in 1978, Daniel plugged in synthesizers as the normal. TVOD, TVOD, TVOD. One of the things about the normal single that I th was important for me, apart from the actual music and everything else, do you remember this it came out in 1978, so it came out in the kind of post-punk era, 
and punk was something that really inspired me in, in so many different ways. It, more the uh, spirit of it than the actual music, although I love some punk rock music. But punk rock music has kind of fizzled out quite quickly in terms of being relevant, I think. But the punk spirit lived on, and I was very caught up in that spirit, and that was the spirit in which I made that record. But, of course, it was electronic, which was something the punks hated. Warm. This is from the normal single, Warm Leatherette. It has spawned at least 70 cover versions, most famously by Grace Jones. Gareth Jones, no relation, came to electronic music with Metamatic, the solo debut of John Fox, the singer from Ultravox. Not a lot like it, but there is a connection to the normal Warm Leatherette. For me, aesthetically somehow, North London kind of sound, DIY electronics in a way. He had a brilliant and I, I didn't get this at the time, but he had a brilliant manifesto and conceptual idea. He wanted to make a minimal record. And you know what he did? He simply took a minimal toolkit, which is how I met him. I was working in a tiny little eight-track studio, really a bit scummy, but it was a legendary studio called Pathway, but it was quite close to his apartment. He came in with one little drum machine, one Arp Odyssey synth, one flanger, one ARP sequencer and one Elka string machine. So it really was quite a limited toolkit. They've been working together for over 40 years, mostly as producers and engineers, but in 1994, in the process of organizing Daniel's analog synthesizer collection, they started improvising. They were 45-minute long jam sessions because they were limited by the length of an ADAT tape. They were fun to do. I don't think they're, from a listener's point of view, I think I'm not sure how engaging they are because we weren't making it for a listener. Other than posting these 45-minute improvs on SoundCloud as the Abbey Street Sessions by Genius Jones, nothing came of this work. But the idea was planted, and a quarter century later, they got back together with more purpose as Sunroof. Despite their deep connections to electronic pop, Sunroof harkens to an earlier sound, earlier than electronic pop, earlier than German electronic space music, earlier than Wendy Carlos's Switched on Bach. I don't think it was that conscious. 
but if that's how you hear it, I mean, that's a compliment, by the way. <laughs> and because um, I love those, I love those early electronic experiments or music. You know, whether it's BBC Radiophonic Workshop or Stockhausen, or you know, they were all huge influences on me. Oh man, uh, Pierre Schaeffer, uh, Stockhausen, of course. Pierre Henry, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop with Delia Derbyshire and all her amazing work, and even Joe Meek as an early independent producer who built some kind of otherworldly electronic sounds into his song productions. Those are seminal influences on all kinds of electronic music, from Kanye West to Jean-Michel Jarre, but it's not the actual sound you usually hear today. But Sunroof went there. Daniel and Gareth got together in each other's studios, sometimes each other's kitchens, and started creating the sound of Sunroof. We wanted to make a live performance. We recorded almost completely without any overdubs. There's, I think, one overdub on one track, an extra bass line on one track. And we recorded straight to a four-track or stereo, so there was no mixing after the event. So all these were kind of key corners of our manifesto. So we turn up with blank Eurorack rigs, nothing plugged in. That was also part of the manifesto. No one came with a patch already or a sequence of sounds running. So we turn up with blank Eurorack modular cases, traveling cases, and we never spoke about the music, as I said, and then we would start to put a patch together. And after perhaps forty-five minutes or an hour, when we felt we had something, we would press record. And no keyboards. No keyboards. No, everything played from the sequences embedded in the Eurorack systems. No, no. We, I personally, I don't really have a keyboard. Well, I have a couple of very tiny keyboards, but they're not plugged in. I don't use them in my studio. I never use a keyboard. Well, uh, well, I haven't used a keyboard for years. Why? The reason is that it immediately ties you to a scale, a conventional scale, and in modular, that scale for me is restricting. And for me, there's no relationship between what I'm doing on my modular system and working in with kind of conventional tools. was based purely in improvisation, hence the title of the album, Electronic Music Improvisations, Volume One. Well, I think when you're working with modular, which is what they were doing and what we're doing, it's very difficult to do anything other than improvised. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you can make some kind of a plan, vague plan, but in the end, you're always improvising because it's such a fluid system, and to try and do a structured pop song. There's an extreme opposite example on a modular live. I mean, you could do it, but why would you do it? You know, what's the what's the point? So much of making these improvisations was rooted in us listening to each other. You know, it's very deep listening, I suppose. 
you know, there's no talking, we never talked about the tracks, we built the sounds and we started listening to each other. And at times in the improvisation, it wasn't clear who was making which noise. And certainly months after the event, neither of us would be certain of who's making what, apart from the odd noise that we would recognise. Sunroof is clearly not about pop sensibilities. It's really about the joy of sound. So it's the joy of sound, and for us, there's a lot of rhythm and melody in there as well. But there's no sense of sonata form or chorus coming back or anything like that. It's the joy of a journey with sound. Yeah, I think that's quite a nice little quote, John. Thank you. <laughs> I think I'll use that. Gareth Jones has a couple of other projects out, including New Salfa and Electrogenetic. Electronic Music Improvisations Volume 1 by Sunroof is out now on Parallel Series. Since this interview first ran in 2021, Sunroof has released a second album, Electronic Music Improvisations Volume 2. They really get out there with what might be the most avant-garde music released today on a big label. But then, Daniel Miller owns the label, Mute Records. I will have a link to both of Sunroof's releases and the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. That's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S. Org, O-R-G. Next week, I've got another complete Echoes interview. This time, we'll hear from the iconic synthesizer pioneer, Klaus Schulze. I'll be going back to my first of two interviews with this legend, this one going back to 1982. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight, on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now, or whenever you want.